Welcome to The Lorax, a podcast where we take beloved sci-fi, fantasy and fictional settings and then look a little too deeply into all the nooks and crannies through sociological, historical and philosophical lenses. I'm Khalil, or Kinko, as you might hear Alex refer to me. And I'm Alex, or Alex. <laughs> this episode is the last one in our five-part mini-series on Warhammer 40,000, the wildly successful science fantasy franchise from Games Workshop. If you're not familiar with the world of 40k, it's probably worth checking out the previous four episodes for a bit of context, or at least the first episode about the Imperium of Man and space fascism, because, spoiler alert, that's going to be pretty relevant here. We've covered humanity and space fascism, we've covered the psychic twins of Eldar and Orcs, we've covered the accidental good guys, the Tau, and we've covered the end of the universe, the ravenous Tyranids. But now it's time for the classical big bad. The scary one with all the spikes and all the blood and skulls and stuff. I mean, not saying the Imperium doesn't have its fair share of skulls. Yeah. But we're talking about the forces of chaos. And this is an army that I collected when I collected 40k. And actually, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack here. But before we start getting all philosophical, let's first ask ourselves, what is chaos? Baby, don't hurt me no more. We can edit that bit out. <laughs> it absolutely won't. <laughs> In the world of 40k, there exists a parallel dimension alongside our own known as the warp. And it's a manifestation of the psychic energy generated by living, intelligent beings that have emotions and thoughts. And these thoughts, emotions and beliefs take on a kind of almost physical form and energy in this parallel realm and sometimes they manifest as spiritual beings with their own consciousnesses and the more of that emotion is present in the minds of mortals the more powerful that being becomes yeah it's essentially a uh, a realm that is the personification of a vibe check <laughs> really <laughs> yeah and as the vibes fluctuate so the powers and entities within the warp fluctuate and warp entities can't intrude for long into the material world but they can exert some kind of influence on it and they depend on the inhabitants of the physical world for the psychic sustenance that they depend on and the most powerful of these entities by far are what are known as the chaos gods now these are unfathomably vast and powerful creatures that each embody a set of concepts and feelings some we could think of as negative, some we could think of as positive. And so the minions that do the bidding of these chaos gods include demons of various sizes and sorts and shapes who embody a, kind of a tiny fraction of that god's power and vibe manifested as a, as a living tool or weapon. They also have mortal followers who follow the ethos of a particular god or, or the, whole, the whole lot of them. Uh, including several legions of space marines, the genetically modified super soldiers of the fashy human space empire. So in a galaxy full of big, scary threats, they're used as the big bad that trumps pretty much all others, maybe excluding the tyrannids that we were talking about. See last episode for more. But is chaos really all that bad? Let's take a look, because in classic Games Workshop fashion, there's a real mix of really interesting and nuanced lore, problematic oversimplification for commercial reasons, 
and the loss of punk. Forever lamenting the loss of punk on this this <laughs> podcast about well, especially the episodes about Warhammer. Uh, money makes the world go round, and it sort of loses satire in the process. Absolutely, and you lose a lot of the really interesting stuff you can say with stuff. He said saying stuff a lot. So, uh, let's give a little bit of a lowdown on these Chaos Gods. So we've mentioned the gods a bit already, but let's meet the family. The first to be born was one called Corn, And that's not C-O-R-N, and no. it's not Q-U-O-R-N. <laughs> it's the much more metal K-H-O-R-N-E. And Corn is canonically born in Earth's medieval period, but really belongs on a metal album cover or a t-shirt from Camden Market. Yeah. He's a god of rage, battle, and bloodlust. He sits on a throne of brass atop a mountain of skulls at the centre of a lake of blood. This imagery is echoed in all his followers and their war cry, which is, Blood for the blood god! Skulls for the skull throne! Which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and often parodied as corn for the cornflakes <laughs> as well. I, I think it's... Um, the, the Corn is, I guess, canonically the most powerful of the four gods because his domain is war and death and battle. And in a galaxy which is infused with nothing but war, as the tagline says, that means that he is endlessly being fueled with power. Uh, and also, Corn is is well known for not really caring who wins or loses, as long as the the the, the term is as long as the blood flows. Yeah. So as well as blood for the blood god, skulls for the skull throne. Another mantra of the uh, the Corn faith is, Corn cares from not whence the blood flows, just that it flows. Yeah. Yeah. Bit like the uh, military industrial complex. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so the second of the gods to be born in the warp was Zinch which uh, again great spelling T-Z-E-E-N-T-C-H really the enemy of dyslexics that one <laughs> yeah the god of change magic prophecy cunning and intrigue loves drama drawn to sentient beings because they're messy bitches who can't help but stir shit up uh, Zinch was the most powerful Chaos God for a long time, being the weaver of fates. Until the others that we're going to get to uh, didn't like that situation, so they teamed up and they broke Zinch into a bunch of little pieces. Zinch now lives in a hidden library inside a non-Euclidean fortress inside a crystal labyrinth. Yeah, Zinch is um, uh, famed as the the changer of ways and the the maker of plans and is probably the most helpful to all uh, Black Library and Warhammer law writers because even when Zinch's plans fail, uh, they planned for it to fail so that another plan could succeed. And if the plan that they planned to succeed also fails, it doesn't matter because they had another plan that was going to succeed if the first two plans had failed and so on and so on. And Truly so forth. a deus ex machina. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the third Chaos God to awaken was Nurgle. Grandfather Nurgle, the god of disease, decay, despair, and acceptance. Everything dies, everything rots. It's, it's the circle of death. The fear of death drives sentient beings to wonderful and terrible things, and Nurgle is here for this energy. Ironically, Nurgle is the chillest of the chaos gods, 
often depicted smiling or chuckling at the gifts he bestows upon the mortal world, the gifts being plagues, diseases and other pestilences. Nurgle lives in a garden that's actually uh, an overgrown swamp of rot and disease where he tests new diseases on a kidnapped Eldar deity of healing. Yeah, Nurgle is um, one of the more, I guess, conflicting of the Chaos Gods because there's always discussion among people who who read read a lot of Warhammer lore about the fact that uh, he is depicted as caring or all of his followers are depicted as caring. Uh, the Those who look up to him call him Papa Nurgle or the Grandfather. Uh, also, similarly, his, ad- his adherents are mutated to the point where they don't feel pain. And most of them don't, uh, although he is the, the god of decay and death, a lot of his followers also live extremely long lives. So there's the argument, people like to make the argument that Nurgle is the nicest, in air quotes, of the gods, because he frees you from pain and from the worry of death, really. And yet, you'll live indefinitely, but you will also be covered in pustules and, like, uh, giant toothy moors that will just appear on your belly, or you'll, you know, either have one eye or three, or... Yeah, so it's it's a long life, it's not a pretty one. Yeah, you know, if you, if, but if you're happy with living in in the filth, then <laughs> turn back to the bachelor days, then, you know. <laughs> the last, and undeservedly treated by Games Workshop as the least, and I'll die on that hill, is Slanesh, the non-binary god of pleasure, lust, hedonism, and perfection. Born in the 39th millennium, when the Eldar got so hedonistic that the build-up of psychic kink energy spawned Slanesh into existence and tore a hole in reality at the centre of the galaxy, now known as the Eye of Terror, Slanesh lives in a palace surrounded by six concentric circles of temptation and has one boob. <laughs> uh, for, for more on the, the fall of the Eldar, listen to the, our podcast on the Eldar and the Orcs. Um, yeah, it's, it's Slanesh's... Uh, canonically, yeah, like you said, the weakest, the last to be born. Um, in fact, the Slanesh's birth scream happened as the emperor of mankind, the guy who, the 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 big, the big corpse daddy of the uh, of the Imperium, was leading. Started his crusade just as Slanesh's birth scream uh, occurred, freeing up and destroying all the chaos across the universe that was preventing mankind from uh, flying through space. So, help them out there a little bit, but. Uh, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? The, uh, not many people fuck a god into existence. <laughs> yeah, and also you know this um, and this whole thing of corn being thought of as you know one of the most powerful, and Slanesh being the least powerful of the four chaos gods, kind of ties in with the the whole forty k ethos of in the grim darkness of the future there is only war. Because if you're the god of bloodlust and rage and battle and you're in a galaxy full of haters, then you're going to have a lot to draw on. Whereas if you're the god of hedonism and pleasure, then you know there's, there's, less, there's less to draw upon. There's also, um, for those who might be listening and, and uh, wondering where they are, there's also the fifth chaos god, um, known as, now as, Mal- as Malice, but formerly known as Malal, which is the chaos god of en- sort of entropy. It's the chaos, the chaos god formed through hatred of all the other chaos gods and the aspect of which chaos can only eat itself. Um, dropped by Games Workshop because of a copyright dispute over the name Malal 
and also just dropped because they didn't. I guess they didn't like how interesting the concept was <laughs> um, to try and get try and delve too deeply into chaos eating itself. Um, but Malal's adherents are all about thwarting the plans of the other chaos gods. But it should be also uh, you should also realize that Malal isn't also isn't a force for good, or is doesn't want to help out mortals. Just wants to ruin everything else for the other chaos gods. Some gods, Master Bruce, just <laughs> want to watch the world burn. Exactly, it's very, very Joker energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, you know, it's said in the lore that the first three of the chaos gods became sentient either in the Middle Ages or at least before the end of M two, which in our parlance would be the year two thousand, and then it was tens of thousands of years before Slanesh was formed from the fuckery of the Eldar. So, does that mean they're around right now? Like, as we record? Yeah, I Korn, mean... Corn, Nurgle, and Zint are around, but not Slanesh? Yeah, I, I think that, that... I get... That would kind of fit in with if they're around the Victorian ages, that's for sure. But, um... <laughs> I, I, and also, it's it's, wor- it's worth mentioning, um... Uh, there'll probably be a few callbacks to the, the episode on the Eldar and the Orcs, because the the uh, the Chaos God's creation happening around about now was because of the the ancient old ones, the precursor civilization, uh, who it said in some, it's, uh, Warhammer lore is very um, intricate with lots of things that were written like 10 years ago being out of date compared to something that someone came up with now for a new book. Um, but it's thought of that the Immaterium or the Empyrean or however you want to defer, refer to it as the, the realms of chaos were once an extremely calm parallel dimension. Um and that when the old ones were fighting the war in heaven, again, check out episode two for that, uh, or if it, yeah, the episode on Eldar and Orcs anyway, they created psychically enhanced creatures to fight uh, their enemies, and because of that, they created the psychic shadow in the realms of chaos, which was the first uh, seeds for the chaos gods. But it was humans who really uh, amped that up, really put the fuel to the fire for the 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 burgeoning chaos gods because we're messiest bitches in the galaxy because <laughs> we're all because we burn bright and and short and we're all messed we're all messed up <laughs> the relationship between the the lore of the warhammer world and how you know how closely tied that is to like the the real uh, real world we've had you know there's been a lot of war and a lot of scheming and a lot of disease and you know i i like to I like to enjoy my free time, um, but I can't imagine how hard I'd have to party to manifest a new deity into existence. Yeah, I mean, we're, try- we're trying our best. Is- do you think there could be a, a chaos? A- I-, I suppose there couldn't be a chaos god of capitalism, but that would be a pretty uh, horrible one if there was. If that was the case, I don't know because uh, the invisible hand of the market is the. Is the, yeah. is the well, because I-, I guess capitalism is partly uh, it's partly zinch. Because yeah. it's the kind of Machiavellian kind of scheming of it. But it's also uh, the kind of... is it? Would it be Nurgle, the gluttony of it? Or... I suppose, yeah. yeah. You know, but... the kind of accumulating more than you'll ever... I think that need. is. I think that's very Zinch as well. I think Zinch's True, thing yeah. is about like, wanting more power and more knowledge and more resources and things like that. Yeah. So maybe, maybe capitalism is actually a, a, a plot of Zinch's. You never know. It's working pretty fucking well. <laughs> and so, you know, having introduced the family, the Chaos Gods, and, and what their vibes are, 
the story really gets going uh, when it you know when it comes to the forty k when that butts up against the the early burgeoning human empire, the Imperium of Man, mm-hmm. which at this point is already a uh, you know, a fascist, expansionist, uh, genocidal uh, ethnostate. And so we're talking about the year 30,000. Yeah. So the beginning of the Horus heresy has its roots in this whole thing. Former. Uh, so, yeah, the Horus heresy, we've covered the Horus heresy in the, in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we won't go over the ins and outs and the intricacies of this galaxy-spanning conflict because we've already done that. And to be honest, uh, if there's one thing that the Warhammer universe does need, it's more focus on the Primarchs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Long story short, the Emperor of Mankind made some kind of deal with these you know, gods of the warp for the power required to create his you know, magical super sons mm-hmm. uh, to then conquer the galaxy. He reneged on that deal... Though, and then the Chaos Gods decide to call in the debt. Yep. Um, and so they corrupt his greatest son, Horus, um, and basically split the Imperium in half in a, this big civil war. And it's qu- I do find it quite interesting, though, in the Heresy, the relationship between the Gods, Horus himself... And the kind of the people of the empire, mm-hmm. because Horus, for a long time, actually, he doesn't worship the gods of chaos. He sees them as beneath him. He sees them as these mewling, bickering, kind of immaterial, you know, wastemen. Yeah, a means to an end. Yeah. Um, and they see him as a puny, fleshy puppet. Yeah. And I think there's there's always the dual side of it, isn't there, when it comes to this, where the 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 main uh, line is that Horus was corrupted via uh, a wound he received and the healing he received from chaos cultists. Um, but then also the... The flip side of that, the other side of that, the non-imperial propaganda side, is that Horus had become disillusioned with the with the way the emperor was acting more autocratically, uh, the way that he was denying his divinity while also allowing uh, an imperial cult to flourish, and the fact he disappeared to go back to Earth to rule his galaxy-spanning empire as like uh, well the emperor. Uh, so that's like the the different propaganda sides of it, and then Horus was you know was aiming to use the powers of chaos as a tool to um to i guess sit the emperor down (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know then what was the plan afterwards the plan afterwards was to become the new emperor yeah so i think that you know there is there's some really interesting stuff to look at there because it's about you know someone realizing uh you know someone someone from within a position of power Realizing that the system is fucked, yeah. <laughs> really realizing the system is fascist and oppressive and stuff. But and yet and again, in in one of those classic like villain who kind of has a point ways, 
the, the, he had identified the problem correctly, but the solution was then it would be better if I was in charge. Yeah. Which actually you see so often in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of the, 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 a lot of the stuff that happens, uh, well, to, to run through the heresy, obviously, uh, it gets all the way to, to terror. Horus fights the emperor, uh, is defeated by the emperor, but also critically wounds the emperor means he has to be uh, ensconced in his golden sarcophagus in the middle of, in the middle of uh, terror and become a psychic beacon. Again, flying over this, episode one really delves deep into everything behind this. But this is an episode about chaos, not about the heresy. Exactly. So, uh, Chaos Space Marines and their demon friends are pushed back because of the death of Horus uh, in that very Phantom Menace kind of like way. Um, just because Horus is gone, it means everything stops working. Uh, and the very chaos eating itself kind of thing comes through. Chaos Space Marines demons push back to the Eye of Terror, the thing that we just said was uh, born by the birth of Sinesha, a gaping wound in the real space that connects to the, the realms of chaos. They disappear inside and only ever emerge every now and again at the head of a huge sort of, I guess you could call it uh, like a war band or a host, uh, a crusade. Well, yeah, the biggest ones are known as the Black Crusades. Yeah. And that's... Not a My Chemical Romance reference. I <laughs> know. Um, no, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, <laughs> There's already been way too much singing on this episode. Yeah, uh, yeah so now Chaos only emerges at a very... Well, in the 41st Merlium, Chaos only ever emerges every now and again to try and test the defences of the Imperium and usually fail, uh, which is a, up until the 42nd Millennium, which we kind of, on this podcast, have to split between 41 and 42 because a lot of Kinko and mine's knowledge is from pre m42 stuff um for a lot of the m41 world of 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 warhammer chaos was basically the whipping boy it would turn up as the big bad as we described but often would always lose it would have to be a big enough threat for you know oh we need all the space marines but a small enough threat that you know at the end the status quo is preserved yeah where have we seen that in the real world (laughs) um you know if you for example uh, if you think about the war on terror, it had to be a big enough threat that we should be scared and allow authoritarianism to uh, kind of embed itself in our society, be it surveillance, be it you can't take water on a plane, be it police powers, all that kind of stuff, militarization of police. But it can't be so big a threat that we genuinely need to be scared. It's got to be scary enough that we can be controlled but defeatable enough that our brave leaders uh, are uh, kind of, yeah, can can save the day for us. Yeah, and I mean, it ties in so much with how the, the Imperium of Man works in, in 40k because Chaos is obviously the great arch enemy. And it's basically the, the enemy that uh, for a long time people aren't really allowed to know about, but higher-ups in the Imperial Echelons are always working non-stop to to prevent uh, any kind of incursion from chaos. Uh, because it is. Um, the Imperial Man stands for rigid control and order and authoritarianism, and chaos in some ways stands for, uh, at, its, at its base level, it is a meritocracy. <laughs> but we'll come into that in a second. But um, uh, the Imperial Man turns into this extremely paranoid, galaxy-spanning empire um, where any threat of chaos should be reported to your neighbours. It's very Cold Warish and preventing the communists. Yeah, kind of it's, it's really like McCarthyism 
on kind of well everything in 40k is kind of on steroids version but yeah the thing is is that uh because it's always the whipping boy it's the whipping boy interestingly this ties into the actual 40k tabletop game because throughout the course of its existence um games workshop would use the crusades as a big worldwide gaming event where the play everyone would uh play games against their friends and then feed the results back to games workshop who would then create lore around the results uh, this also happened with um, the end times in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, mm-hmm. but the problem is, is that the way that, uh, w- the way that perhaps uh, Kinko and I would argue, is that the way that Games Workshop portrays Chaos as the bad guy means that there were so few players of Chaos Space Marines uh, that the f- the feedback they got in these campaigns was overwhelmingly in favour of the, I guess you could say in air quotes, forces of order. Uh, because there are so few Chaos players, and so many Space Marine players, so many Imperial Guard players, that they would win, feed those things back, and then Games Watch would be like, oh, this is actually... They've just been completely annihilated. Like, every- And yeah. maybe that's why it became a thing, that like the, the big joke was like... Uh, the Because Horus is dead, the new leader is a, is a, uh, a war master called Abaddon. Uh, that he's The joke is that he's useless because he's, had to, he's tried 13 times and failed. Um, but then he doesn't fail. Yes, so the 13th Black Crusade is the big one. We were talking about the the divide between you know M41 and M42, the 41st and 42nd millennia. Um, and yeah, the 13th Black Crusade happens at the uh, at the at that kind of transition between those two millennia, and shit kicks off. Um, Abaddon crashes a giant space fortress into um, this imperial world which uh housed these ancient beacons that were stopping demons coming through um and yeah it all goes pretty crazy the eye of terror expands and becomes this kind of canyon almost across the galaxy there's a big gateway between the immaterium the warp and the real world yeah so it's uh i can't remember the actual um weird pseudo latin name for it but it's called the Great Cicatrix there we go Maleficarum or something there we go uh, the orcs call it Gork Smile which is much nicer um, Cicatrix actually means scar oh there we go uh, yeah so that the Great Rift splits the, the galaxy in two um, cutting off half of basically Imperial space from um, the beacon which most space travel relies on the Emperor's corpse and his like the choir of psychers sing dying every second to yeah more episode one um (laughs) and what essentially happens to the other half uh the the dark half of the of the galaxy so to speak is well demonic incursions occur across every single world simultaneously and in the it's often described that a demonic incursion on a world in 40k is basically imagine if hell was real is real depending on your belief hell on earth basically but happening across hundreds of thousands of worlds all at once and it must be interesting because you probably get different flavors of hells on earth depending on what sort of demons are arriving on your planet yeah like if you get an incursion of nurgle demons you might get clouds of bloated flies blotting the sun and kind of pox ridden zombie like uh kwashiakor bellied uh, cyclopean monstrosities oozing through the street. If you get Slanesh, well, that's probably a you know a party that goes a little bit too far, but you can't leave. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, you know, when someone locks the door and gets out the gimp mask. <laughs> um, and, you know, with, with Zinch, probably reality itself just bends and impossibly mind-melting, uh, like, Escher on acid whilst terrified. Yeah. Um, and then with Corn, fire, blood, swords, axes, skulls. Yeah, yeah. Turns into kicking out time <laughs> at 3am. Yeah, but then also, you also might be on a world where uh, both Sunesh and Corn uh, forces arrive and they despise each other. So then it just becomes a big fight. And this is actually something we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. These gods have, as well as having a kind of birth order and hierarchy, they also have rivalries. So Corn um, being this god of uh, kind of rage and kind of destruction really despises Slanesh. Mm. Because Slanesh is this deity of aesthetic and uh, yeah, aesthetic and sensory and sensual pleasure. And so they, they absolutely despise each other. And Zinch and Nurgle, likewise. Zinch being the god of change, and Nurgle being the god of kind of constancy. Mm. You know, yes, decay and death, but kind of longevity and holding on to things. Yeah, yeah. So the animosity between the gods is shared by their followers to the point where, in the, especially in the case of Khorne and, um, and Slanesh, they will instantly fight each other rather than whatever they're there to corrupt. If not, as soon as they see each other, they'll, they're attacking each other. Um, because you can't have fanboys and Joe Rogan fans <laughs> in the same room. Now <laughs> it's coming to blows. I would watch that fight. My money's on Slanesh. <laughs> We're going, going back to these kind of demonic incursions. Yeah. Um, so, how does that leave that half of the galaxy? Uh, not not a good time if you're <laughs> if you're a citizen of the Imperium. And you get this whole other kind of demi empire kind of forming, right? So, like all of the Imperial forces that are in that side of the Empire come together under some fucking dude, Ultramarine robot Gilliman. Don't <laughs> don't get me started on that guy. Um, but uh, what I find quite interesting here as well is that you know there's a lot of um, kind of allusions and callbacks to kind of Roman Empire type vibes and stories when you when it comes to the Imperium. Yeah. And this kind of, you know, uh, internecine kind of two empire kind of, well, two thrones in one empire yeah. type thing does kind of remind me a little bit of the kind of, you know, the East and West yeah, uh, kind of Roman Empire. Yeah, that's that's actually something I hadn't considered. It's it's, it's that's a really interesting point. I mean, especially when you think about um, the reign of here we go. Here comes the guy with his <laughs> ancient what history. The yeah, the reign of Justinian <laughs> in uh, in the Eastern Roman Empire. Who um, and because Gulliman, who is uh, one of the Primarchs, comes back to life, launches his own crusade to retake or reconnect with the other half of the empire, which is exactly what the Roman Empire Emperor Justinian in the Eastern Roman Empire did trying to retake the Western Roman Empire. Uh, spoiler alert, it went okay and then didn't. So the, this crusade to retake the other half of the Imperium reflects nicely with uh, Emperor uh, Justinian, who was an Eastern Roman Empire emperor, who tried to retake the Western Roman Empire um, using his greatest general, Belisarius, and they 
Got about halfway there. Belisarius. Belisarius, yeah. That's a name that rings a bell in the context of the 42nd millennium. I know. Belisarius Call is the name of uh, the the kind of the head tech priest of the Mechanicum. Mm. Um, and he plays a really big role in this reunification. But we're straying away from chaos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by by Primaris Marines is the is the is the line at the end of Ugh. that. Uh, so with <laughs> that parallel, um, <laughs> the other half of the Imperium is basically awash with demons, uh, in in a way that sort of finally, I guess, if you're someone who is interested in the other side of the of of that sort of chaos order divide, to the point where it's actually a proper threat for for once. Um, mm-hmm. Whole millions upon millions of people, billions, trillions are now under siege or being killed or corrupted. Whole worlds are disappearing into the rift and becoming demon-infested worlds, uh, transporting themselves into the realm of chaos. Uh, it's a bad time to be a follower of the Imperium, but a good time to be someone who believes uh, that chaos isn't actually all that bad. On the subject of which, <laughs> it's important to note that, yes, you get demonic incursions breaking through and stuff, but I mean, a lot of the time, it's because there are people who want it to happen. Yep. Um, and when you live in a shitty, repressive, horrible empire where you can be worked to death or killed or conscripted for a war on a distant solar system or whatever, like, is what you can see why people turn to other forms of uh, kind of offers of other ways of living. Even if they're not, they don't. You know, it's not. It doesn't end up being utopian. But if your options are the the devil you know, being the the fascist space empire, or the devil you don't know, which being this, do you want to join this uh, this club I've got? We get together every now and again, stand around an eight pointed star and chant. <laughs> um, you know, you can see why people turn to this kind of stuff in desperation. Sometimes not even in desperation, yeah. Because at the end of the day, I, I mentioned it earlier. Chaos is the ultimate meritocracy. It doesn't matter who who you are, who your parents are, how much money you've got. If you have the ability and the drive, then chaos will re- reward you for it. Yeah, and also I think something that is um, something that is ignored in a lot of, or, or not properly addressed in a lot of the law and literature, is that. Chaos, the, the Chaos Gods, yes, it, they are portrayed as manifesting all and representing all of these bad emotions, emotions we would call bad. But, you know, they, they can be seen as having much more nuanced and rounded characteristics. Like, corn, yes, bloodshed, yes, rage, but also... Like strength and you know the 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 honor of taking on the biggest challenge you can find and defeating it. Zinch, being yes, manipulation and deceit and and Machiavellianism, but also ambition and ingenuity and inspiration. Nurgle, yes, disease, death, decay, but also acceptance and you know oneness with the circular nature of life. And Slanesh. You know, yes, hedonism and rapaciousness and uh, and kind of transgression, but also expression and pleasure and the seek of perfection. Um, and 
in a more in a more rounded universe, like the real one, you know, you can explore a lot of that. But you know, if the chaos gods really are manifestations of the thoughts and emotions and actions of of beings in the real world in a universe full of fucking haters like the 40k universe of course the chaos gods would turn out to be dickheads mm. yeah and there, there's the aspect of uh, a lot of the a lot of the perspective of usually the uh of transhumans uh space marines astartes primarchs um people who've gone beyond humanity that kind of thing um the opinion is that of those who haven't become uh, according to games workshop like gibbering wrecks or mad is that chaos is a means through which humanity can achieve its higher purpose which is usually via the embracing of our worst nature and overcoming it to become uh, a f- something greater than that you know uh, whereas instead of trying to hide from it or be f- uh, afraid of it if you take it head on and then overcome it you become a better person in general there's something very um kant-esque about that like a very ubermensch very sort of conquering your very stoic as well conquering your worst natures yeah and uh, also you know it leads back into i don't want to spend too long talking about the imperium but like for a long time the emperor uh basically denied the existence of the chaos gods uh to even his primarch sons but especially the whole empire in an effort to not feed these beings with belief mm. but in the end you know left the empire vulnerable to them yeah um which i think feeds into what you were you were just saying and also this idea of of looking at and confronting the darker parts of us actually i think is kind of brought out in the aesthetics of the of the armies mm-hmm. so you know if you take space marines and chaos space marines like Chaos Space Marines... So Space Marines are, you know, these seven-foot, you know, power-armoured kind of, you know, space knights, basically. Um, And Chaos Space Marines, imagine that covered in spikes and skulls. And so, you know, initially, that comparison can be very easy. Um, But really, if you look at... if If you didn't have Chaos Space Marines and you just looked at Space Marines... They've got a lot of stuff with skulls on, and eagles, and lightning bolts, and iron crosses, and stuff. And so, they the Space Marines only look like the good guys next to Chaos. Yeah. Um. And. And it, it it's interesting that they decided that they needed to goth up the the kind of the quote unquote bad guy versions of uh, of the Space Marines. And. You know, the space Mar- chaos space marines also. You know, they get certain mutations and changes in their their armor that aren't mechanical. They are manifestations of the of what's inside um, the, of, of the, the the change in the soul of the, of the of the wearer. And that kind of aesthetic version of a dark mirror is interesting. But like, which side is? Uh, they're both dark sides of the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like why you we are we will continue to find it difficult to not talk about the Imperium when talking about chaos because because of the 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 like a lot of things in the 40k universe it's extremely Imperium centric 
which makes it easier for a human audience. You know? Yeah, yeah. But even when you have a chaos god who was birthed by the actions of a different species entirely, the the Eldari, uh, you still focus a lot on its relationship with humanity because most of the chaos gods, as we as we said earlier, find the humans to be particularly palatable because we're a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that to the point you were making, there's always always the case with, with James James Workshop again. Here he is. James Workshop is back. I was just thinking we hadn't said James in a while. <laughs> Mr. James Workshop is back. James's interpretation of uh, things, uh, there's always a loss of nuance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll read uh, an interpretation of chaos, which is really interesting. Uh, I like to call things like this. It's it's very sort of pop culture, but like the, like the, the Thanos paradox, where basically people, who, when you have a thing that's so... Um, cut and dry, bad guys, good guys, like you did in Marvel films, for example. And then Thanos comes along, he's a guy. Oh, he has a point. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" So you get a lot. Sometimes you get authors who write chaos from a perspective like we've just talked about, and everyone's like, "What? This is mad! This is crazy!" Because they're so used to the ah, kill, destroy, rape, burn, maim, all this kind of stuff that they just like, "This isn't right. This isn't. It's supposed to just be bad stuff." Everyone loves a dichotomy, and and you know, on that note, like when. The whole, you know, Thanos might have a bit of a point uh, thing came out. You had a whole wave of people being like, Thanos was right! And again, like, jumping to another side of a dichotomy. Yeah. Um, because our minds have collectively been melted by shitty discourse and shit media for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's... I, I don't think it really can be overstated the fact that um, you know, that, like you said, they're both dark mirrors of each other. Because something that um, I was reading actually earlier today really struck a chord me, and it's that there are so many. Uh, again, episode one for all the horrible ways the Imperium is horrible, but the Imperium drives people to it, right? Uh, like you said, if if you're you live on a nice peaceful world, and then the Inquisition's black ships turn up and take most of your family off to be sacrificed to the Emperor, and apparently I, I've read this morning that like. Oftentimes, when that I didn't know this, but when they turn up, most time, most of the time, those worlds rise up in rebellion because naturally they don't want to give like loads of their family and friends away to be slaughtered. So that it, the Imperium pushes um, its own citizens into to what it deems as the worst possible enemy. So you have to think like, well, you know, if the if the the option that people take is not is not that then it must be a better option you know it's can't yeah. just be it, it, you can't go from bad to worse really there has to be no one goes i'm in a really shit situation do you know what being do you know what i want to do i'm going to go to a worse situation <laughs> you know no one no one's like oh you know i really hate this but i would really also like tentacles to sprout out of my chest in this situation yeah, but you know it can be quite hard to know where you're going to land when you jump um yeah. but if a situation is bad enough then sometimes it can be better the devil you don't know than yeah. the devil you know. Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, when, you know, when, uh, you, you never know how a revolution is going to turn out um, or or any kind of, kind of regime change or anything like that. But if the regime is shit enough, people will agitate for change. Yeah. And, let, and let, also, I think it's important that we, we address, uh, while we're on the topic of sort of lack of nuance, like the, the representations of any of the gods, because they can often be flanderized down to the most like base level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of them is probably the more problematic than the depiction of Slanesh. Bing, 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 bing. Because for a very long time, uh, a lot of the Slanesh demons, the demonettes or the... the even the name demonettes. Yeah, yeah. 
Come on, guys. Um, <laughs> it was. It's very much in the. It plays a lot of. It plays a hell of a lot of for a god that's about, not about, uh, yes, about excess, but also about perfection, um, and about taking things to the the nth degree. Where like corn is a hammer, uh, Slanesh is like a rapier. You know, like mm-hmm. um, doing things the per- within the perfect amount of time to the perfect and the most result. aesthetically perfect yeah. way. But when you decide that to depict that, the bad sides of that as people who are hermaphroditic or transsexual in some cases or there's definitely a strong element of kind of yeah trans panic there's so much of it you know it's like especially a lot of the early art say oh oh no this it's got one titty and claws yeah uh it's it's really hard to try and sum it up in in few words because it's really so much so many avenues of like bad about it yeah i mean i guess like from a from a uh, a design perspective, mm. I guess James Workshop was like, okay, I need these four strands of chaos to be very aesthetically distinct. Yeah, how can I aesthetically simply portray the idea of excess, make it sexy? Yeah, but makes it scary sexy. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously uh, Games Workshop being a British company, uh, the a lot of like. American Puritanism uh, slips into Slanesh and the depiction of Slanesh, you know, that sexual awa- sexual awakening, sexual liberation is inherently bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always, um, like, it's, like we said earlier, it's the, the, the party you can't get away from when things just get a little bit too much. <laughs> but most of the time it's, it's, Slanesh deals in ecstasy a lot of the time. And it's like, oh, but it's bad. Yeah, go back to your drudgery of imperial mining. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Stop having fun. Yeah, it's like if you, yeah. If you had a choice between being ground into the dirt every single day for uh, for money you can't spend, but eating protein gruel, uh, watching your friends and family either go off to conscriptors, die in wars, or be crushed by machinery, or taken as a tithe to be sacrificed to a god, why wouldn't you want to orgasm until you die? <laughs> Completely unrelatable. <laughs> <laughs> but take the two, of the two choices, you know. Yeah. You know, like then that circles back to what we were talking about earlier. Like the the Imperium creates such a hell on earth that demons aren't that scary. Yeah, yeah. Because the real demon <laughs> is imperialism. <laughs> Here we go. And actually, you know, while we're on the topic of ideology. Um, we really should talk about the symbology of chaos um, because each of the gods has their own symbol. Corns um, mm-hmm. is a kind of horned triangle. Um, Zinch is a kind of uh, kind of squiggly, uh, kind of almost like a fireball type yeah. magical shape. Um, Nurgle is these three dots that kind of look like pustules. Slanesh is not quite prince's symbol, but almost. <laughs> yeah. um, but the the thing that unites them is the chaos star. It's an eight pointed star, sometimes with irregular length um, spikes, sometimes not. But this is not a forty k creation. The chaos star was created by the fantasy author Michael Moorcock um, for his Eternal Champion series, and in that series, the big kind of power struggle was between order and chaos. Um, and so order was represented by a single arrow and 
chaos by eight arrows in different directions. This then got picked up by uh, anarchist and kind of uh, like modern occultist um, communities as a as a symbol of yeah this objection to order and structure and and the powers around us. From there, it was then you know also picked up by things like Warhammer and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff as a symbol of chaos. But in these situations, in these universes, you get that tying of chaos to evil, which I think is inherently problematic because you know good and evil they're pretty subjective you know it's it's it can be yes it's you can create a big bad guy and a big good guy but when it comes to order and chaos they're not necessarily moral in themselves you know the classic kind of D alignment chart of like good and evil order and chaos yeah not being on uh, you know perpendicular axes, but in forty k, chaos is evil, and the Imperium. I mean, it's portrayed as good. We've discussed this in the in the earlier episodes about how a lot of forty k is presented to us through the lens of Imperial propaganda, but without the kind of without the asterisk warning of it being imperial propaganda yeah so the so order is displayed as order is portrayed as good and chaos is portrayed as bad um but the order that we have is fascism yeah and so by making the i mean i'm not going to call chaos i'm not going to call the chaos space marines anarchists because they're not Mm. um they still have a very rigid power structure and you know that but by making the concept of chaos scary and evil and covered in spikes and blood and skulls, it's kind of laundering the reputation of fascism. Um, and, yeah, making the fascists seem like they are our protectors. Which, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've uh, been reading the internet recently, um, but, you know, a lot of... There is a, a worrying amount of apologism for you know whether it's far right or just kind of general kind of hawkish right um approaches as kind of being justified because we face this threat of these scary anarcho-communists or these you know oh the damn antifas yeah (laughs) and at the end of the day i think this is a yeah it's a manifestation of the fact that at the end of the day, liberals will always side with fascists over anarchists. Um, like, centrist liberals are always more scared of losing the structures that give them a comfortable life than they are of those structures becoming oppressive and murderous. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I mean, at, at the end of the day... Anything it's it's that anything that's different is bad. Mm-hmm. You know? I am uncomfortable, but comfortable at the same time with the with the the rules and 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 uh, structures that I live in. That so comfortable that I, anything that could change it for the better could, in my mind, could also eat. In my mind, creates this situation in which it will automatically be worse. You know, so 
uh, without getting too too mad about it you know it's like the whole it's that <laughs> thing when people say for example you, you get you get answers to this as well it's like you, the structures that you're in pen you in it's like the 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 argument that people always give you with it like how can you not like capitalism if you have a, like a smartphone you know things like that mm-hmm. it's like oh because everything works to keep you penned in that little box because anything that could be different is worse and it's you know they obviously retort to that as well the phone wasn't made by capitalists was it it was made by workers um and it's uh it, it's it has interesting parallels with for example the spanish civil war as well where mm-hmm. um for the briefest brightest moments in weird modern human history actual um syndicalist like communes came together and created societies that functioned fine without any power structure uh, but then, then along came the fascists. Then along came the fascists. Yeah. The problem, obviously, was there should be some his- historical context. The anarchists also didn't like the communists, so like that didn't help much. But Slanesh and corn. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, that, I mean that that ties in with the parallels, really, doesn't it? Because and even the Malal thing as well. Yeah. Because anarchists will naturally, and so will communists. There's nothing communists like to do more than complain about other communists. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That that's that's. Always the uh, always the frustrating part. Yeah. But also, you know, if you look at um, particularly, you know, a lot of Western foreign policy over the past hundred years, it, throughout the Cold War and, and since, countless countries across South America and Africa and actually all over the world, that as soon as socialism rears its scary head, suddenly... There's a lot of money flowing into this fascist general who just fancies to do a coup. Yeah. Funny that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're thinking about Augusto Pinochet or um, uh, Noriega or, you know, countless other dictators who, like, you know, the say what you... No matter how we would label... America's ideological state. Yeah. They would not call themselves fascists. No. But they enable a lot of fascists. <laughs> yeah. Purely in the name of stopping chaos. Yeah. A chaos as they see it. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Games Workshop is also a reflection of, as we talk about a lot, and we have talked about a lot in these episodes of real world politics in the way that the creators of uh, Games Workshop are stymied by the real world in which they originally were trying to parody but have ended up mirroring mm-hmm. in that um, if you want to create, if you want to look at chaos through the lens of uh, anarchism, then um, not only the flanderizing of it being bad, and I think that's not the point that really should be made that like anarchists equal these people who are like yeah. evil and babbering and gibbering, but if you want to look at it through the political thing and say oh, it's anarchistic because of you know the the in, in, in beyond the gods themselves, the quite flat power structure, the meritocracy inherent in it, you know, anyone can be anything as long as they like have the skills and ability, all this kind of thing. Um, but because you have no real world reference when you're creating this thing, the only way you can depict that is bad. Yeah, the only way you can p- depict that is through the fever dreams of paranoid yeah. Uh, conservatives. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can only depict it as bad and you can only depict it as unable to uh, flourish uh, and it will it will eat itself as like we yeah. always say like they think that if it spread if it gets too big then it will collapse in on itself uh, because there's no 
Um, just like you might, you might say the same thing, you know, oh, capitalism is bad, but at least it's got rules. Capitalism can't collapse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stairs in yeah. left left school in 2007. Well, yeah. well, <laughs> nothing happened in 2008 or 1929 or 19, the other one. <laughs> or like last year. Yeah. <laughs> this comes down to, as I just said, the fact that people can listen to a show like ours or read people writing in depth about a world like Warhammer 40,000 and say you're thinking too hard about this or you're you're you know you're going too deep about this but in reality a piece of media is always the reflection of its creators who are themselves a reflection of the structure in which they live mm-hmm. so if you if you're thinking that fuck you <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're not looking deep enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, at the end of the day, people might say, oh, it's a game about playing little soldiers on a tabletop. But we, as we come to the end of talking about 40K, it's important we go back to what spurred uh, Kinko and I to talk about it in the first place, which was when a literal Nazi turned up to play Warhammer 40,000, unapologetically. With Nazi, with, you know, with Imperial Guard painted in Wehrmacht colours and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, yes, you can put your head in the sand and pretend that um, your fun space fantasy game exists beyond ideology and beyond the real world because we like to escape from the real world. Cool. But you can't deny that it it is inherently ideological in so many ways. Like, nothing is apolitical. And I think that's that's the real message of yeah, this whole this whole show actually, um, and I'm sure it will come up in all future episodes. Yeah, and Warhammer suffers from that. There'll be other things we talk about. We'll talk. We, we might do episodes on things like Fallout or uh, um, series like that that started out as satire and parody. But the longer you le- the longer you let parody go on, the more it just becomes reality. I cannot wait for our Godzilla King of the Monsters episode. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> Zilla! <laughs> so with that. Thank you so much for sticking with us through this five-episode arc on Warhammer 40,000. Um, the next few episodes, at the very least, are going to be single episodes about stuff, so you won't need to commit to a slog to learn everything there is to know about a, a confusing and fun uh, universe like this. Yeah, and uh, we hope you stick with us. Uh, this was very much, a, I guess, a baby for Kinko and I because we both are... I think it's important to say that we are fans of 40k in a way. Yeah, we rag on it, but like uh, in the in the the words of uh, the main character from The Last Black Man in San Francisco, you don't get to hate something unless you love it. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to leave it off. So n- next time we can't say what the next episode is going to be on because we haven't decided yet. But we hope you you join us for that. And production values will continue to slowly improve. Thank you so much. I've been Khalil or Kenko. I've been Alex. Or Alex. Or Alex. (laughs) Peace. Bye.